And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, startups. Today, we've been talking about mindset uh, and leveling up. Uh, and what that looks like for you. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Today's guest is calling in out of Oklahoma, but I will let him tell the rest of his story in regards to where his story joined out. Um, They are a top startup, and I'm super excited to tell you more about what they're doing. Paul Slater, welcome to the show. Hey, good to meet you, Andrew. Hey, thanks for thanks for making this. Um, this I'm excited to learn about the topic. I think it's it's unique uh, for me, at least as a host, to kind of dig into that. And something I'm dealing with in my own team uh, as we've gotten more remote since the pandemic, um, but also just being in the e-commerce and marketing space, it's very common to have outsourced teams. Um, all the way down to working with a refugee camp, um, in in africa i i lived i grew up in africa till i was 16 um and so i have a passion for the country uh for the continent and um you know working with uh some e-commerce guys in this refugee camp really realizing that they need a lot more skills before they can even start to learn a lot of the the, you know the technical stuff of what we do so this will be a fun one for me and i hope for our audience as well um i love starting the show out getting to know a little bit more about the guests yourself uh, your, your entrepreneurial journey, your business journey, kind of how you got to where you are, uh, at least before Oklahoma. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we started out, you said that you're originally from Oxford. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about your story. Did you always know you're going to be in business? Um, have you always been an educator? Uh, where's your story begin? Yeah, sure. That's Oxford, England, not Oxford, Mississippi. Okay. Um, but, uh... <laughs> well played, well played. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I've actually lived in the U.S. Uh, since about 2002, um, but I'm an old guy. I, I was born in 71. Um, so the first um, really kind of 30 years of my life was uh, was spent in the U.K. And yeah, um, I was always kind of in and around education. Um, basically, um, my first job out of, uh, first real job, I would say kind of out of college was in, was doing it training. Um, and this was in the days of, for those people that are old enough to remember, uh, what, um, word perfect, um, mm-hmm. and like the uh, windows for work groups was around about that time. If you did word, it was like word two. Okay. Paul. Um, so was, just so you know, I'm, I'm a younger man. I'm, I'm 36, but I was around during DOS and well, windows 3.1 and windows 95 and 98. So, so you know uh, that stuff. yeah, I'm there with you. And I think, uh, I, I get reminiscent about it. I feel a little nostalgic <laughs> about it. Those were the good days. Absolutely. So yeah, so I'm doing that. I'm and I'm. What's really fascinating around being at that time was that when you were in the business of of skills training, in this case, like really simple technical skills training for many people, 
um, it was often managers and employees for whom the first time that they had even sat in front of a computer was in a training room and you were in front and you were in front of them and yeah. the computer was going to arrive on their desk. They always called it the computer and it would arrive and it would arrive on their desk and they were told, go be productive with this thing. And so um, my career spanned a whole bunch of things after that. I worked at Microsoft for 10 years. I was, um, and uh, I designed and built training curriculum. I was an enterprise architect, did all that kind of stuff. But that very first part of my career was so formative because here am I like 20, you know, just over 20, can barely grow a beard. And, uh, and I'm working with these, with these people who are often 20, 30 years my senior. And those people are struggling, like genuinely struggling. Uh, I had um, adults, you know, sort of grown, often they were men because they were middle managers at that time and most of them were men at that time, um, you know, breaking down in tears and saying, you know, I'm never going to get this. It's going to ruin, this computer is ruining my life, all of that kind of stuff. And so the, it, it sort of ignited two passions in me at the same time. So the first one was how do people learn and how do people develop these skills? And then the second was um, how does the technology that is arriving in their lives, how is it disrupting their lives and how do they feel about that technology emotionally and how is it connecting? Uh, how is that connecting with the way in which they're behaving? And so the kind of intersection between those two things, even though my career went all around the, <laughs> the houses after that, um, that's always been something that has been deeply, deeply interesting to me. So fast forward, I leave the UK, had my own company uh, actually in the UK that was in, that was in training and consulting. Okay. Um, was, I like to say that I got the, the company that I was going to be my primary customer right, but the country wrong. So I was living in Reading in the UK. I thought my major customer was going to be Microsoft UK. It ended up being Microsoft US. That took me over to Seattle to live over in Seattle. I eventually um, sold that company, ended up working full-time for, uh, for Microsoft for, uh, for 10 years. And then in the latter time uh, that I was there, met my co-founder. We did an internal startup inside Microsoft. Well, what did you do for those 10 years? Were you in education? Many different roles. So learning and, uh, so learning and development was part of it. Um, and, um, and then even when I was consulting for them, I was working, uh, often with learning development, did a lot of, um, content creation and learning and uh, development for enterprise architects, um, and then shifted into like the life sciences domain, um, and started working, was actually the, the head of strategy for head of commercial strategy for life sciences. And then the last role that I did there. Um, can I can was, I can I ask a uh, maybe sure. silly question? But just I just want to I just wanted to learn what is life sciences in regards to, to tech? Like what oh, what, what does that role look like? Yeah. Yeah. So so super interesting. So obviously the life sciences domain. Think of you know you have the the drug companies the big examples, but biotech is obviously a big a big wing of that, and it has been um, an area that has been increasingly technological in nature. And so there are there are various different ways where a technology kind of fits in. One is obviously in the area of drug discovery and drug development and things like that, which has got very, very AI driven and a lot of stuff that was happening in sort of physical labs is moving to sort of more virtual environments. Um, and then 
related to that is the whole process piece of it. So in other words, how do you, how do you use technology to uh, get from, as they might say, lab to jab quick, right? Technology can optimize all of the components of that. And so what I was doing was helping those companies um, kind of develop a deeper understanding as to, as to how they could use technologies, including Microsoft Cloud technologies, um, to help them drive those optimizations. I love so anyway, it. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So we do all of that. And then, um, and then my, uh, my co-founder and I meet in the context of life sciences. And it's kind of funny because he knew nothing about it. He'd come from a different, uh, from something entirely different. And I, at this point, was pretty much a, a subject matter expert in, in that intersection between technology and life sciences. Um, and we formed something that we referred to. It was an agile innovation team, um, but we were focused on clinical research. And so we built this agile innovation team from scratch that was focused, as I say, on clinical research. And the goal of it, the under, underlying goal, took me all the way back to where, kind of where I started, which is what is the set of skills that people need in order to be able to innovate more effectively inside this larger company? And then we used the clinical research domain as a means of of putting, of making a, creating a practical example of that to behave in a highly entrepreneurial way inside a company. And so we were kind of like a proof point, but the pr purpose of the proof point was to create a, um, was to create a new set of behaviors inside the company. So now I start with this, like, how do you go about developing these skills and how do people change behaviors in order to be able to cope with technology, go all the way full circle to the end of my time at Microsoft, focusing on how do we create this set of entrepreneurial skills inside, inside the company? And that led to the genesis of Billion Minds because we were fascinated by this. Both of us were fascinated by it. We wanted to be able to allow or to, to help people really develop a killer set of soft skills. We call them human skills, actually, that will see them and make them resilient throughout this massive period of technology uh, technology change and we're not interested in just teaching people the theory of it we're interested in it resulting in a concrete set of behaviors that help people thrive in a world that is going to be increasingly dominated by ai robotics automations and things uh, automation and things like that and so that's where the genesis for the idea came from and then we actually formed the company as a lot of people did in the spring of 2020. Okay, so a couple of questions. Uh, this is amazing. I've learned as an agency founder in a space that I kind of created out of nothing uh, in the Amazon branding space. Uh, we've been been at this, been in e-commerce 12 years, been in the Amazon space about nine years. Um, and what I can say in my experience from building teams is that a lot of the times, I have a lot of younger people on my team, mm -hmm. right? And um, they come with uh, a wide variety of skills. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of them grew up in tech uh, in some way, right? They grew up with iPhones and iPads. And if you're 23 or 25, you know, you're very familiar with all these things. But they lack other skills, yeah. Uh, even if they're coming out of college, right? So uh, things like communication and, and business etiquette and uh, communication skills uh, from email to phones to organizational skills, like um, some of these skills that we're talking about. And so for me, it was quite a bit of learning before I realized, whoa, like I actually need to see, I need to make sure that there's a preset 
of of common knowledge uh, around how to move move around a um, not just an agency, but I guess like you know a digital company. Yeah. Uh, things that were assumed by myself first, right? And yeah. just you just have kind of assuming that they know these things, um, and they can be very technical at editing a photo or doing all types of things like that with their devices, but they're missing some of the other skills. So that's something I can. Um, I can confirm myself and just something that I've been learning and um, something that I talked about with the refugee camp. Uh, they have to understand if you're working with someone in the Philippines or someone in Africa, for example, um, you have to understand that they have no real idea what it's like in, in Western culture. They might have watched stuff on TV or their iPhones or YouTube, uh, but they, you know, a lot of them have never bought a $500 computer or yeah. an expensive backpack. And so we're in the business of selling, right? We're in the business of marketing. Um, and so there's a certain level of groundwork that has to be has to be done. I actually come from uh, a family of educators. My parents were missionaries. They taught English uh, abroad. So um, kind of grew up in that teaching the basics kind of thing. Talk to me about, sounds like your job at Microsoft was incredibly interesting and exciting and they had you doing all types of stuff you're building a company within a company and you're moving you know you're kind of becoming a thought a thought leader uh mm -hmm. in, in regards to um life sciences what made you eventually say hey this is you know I've, i feel like i've learned what i can from this company i'm going to go do my own thing was it a, a matter of the pandemic in 2020 or was it you know something outside that i think the germ for it came before that um one thing i will say is like um, for people that are earlier in career or um, if they've never worked for a company like Microsoft, it can be an incredible like learning ground. And the great thing about working for an organization like a Microsoft is that over the course of, of 10 years, or as I was there for, I think, nine, nine and a half years, something along those lines, right? You can do so many different things. Um, and so whatever you, whatever you are when you first start, you might have over the course of 10 years, you might have four or five different jobs and they may be radically different to each other. The, the companies that really get that and Microsoft is one of them, don't always look at what you've done in the past as a strong indicator of what your next job needs to be. They're looking for, uh, for other talents associated with it. For me, um, I think that I was, I really, as somebody who thinks about skills a great deal, um, I started to think about my own skills and where my skills um, consistently growing and did I have some control over, uh, over the things that I really wanted to hone. And so I got kind of, kind of deep in terms of looking inside myself and going, okay, what are the things that I'm really good at? What are the things that right now I could do with working on and what opportunity is there for me inside the company to use the skills that I have and I enjoy using and grow the ones that I do not. Um, and so in part, um, I started thinking about what my next move might be outside of Microsoft in that light. But then I think what really drove it home for me is that when, you know, my co-founder and I were, were talking about this skills gap and how difficult it was and how basically soft skills development is broken and has been broken for as long as we've been talking about soft skills. And we started to really think collectively about how important it is that it's not broken. And then we started to think about how we could fix it with the unique, um, with the unique capabilities that, that we would bring to the table. In my case, you know, long history of learning and development curriculum and, and study of how, of how people learn. In his case, um, organizational change management, understanding how learning kind of spreads through, uh, through companies and how behaviors spread through companies. 
we were like, we can give this a go. We can fix this thing. And so there is a thing, particularly if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, I think at some point where I don't know if it's arrogance or what it is, but you start to look at this thing and go, this thing's been broken. We know how to fix it. And if we don't, then that's on us, right? We're going to be, we're going to be looking back in this 20 years, 20 years time and going, man, we kind of knew how to fix this thing that is still broken. And we did not, we did nothing. We didn't even try to fix it properly. And so then the next question was like, with this gem of the idea that we have, can we pursue that idea inside a company like Microsoft or do we need to go outside in order to be able to do it? And then that was the kind of the final thing for us. We were just like, no, if we're going to do this in a way that gives us like complete freedom as to how to figure it out, that allows us to do like small one-off pilots here and there, sure aspects of it will be more difficult, but we'll have the freedom to be able to truly figure this out back in the garage in a lab if we leave the company. And so I'd been there 10, he'd been there 15. It's tough, right? I mean, you're saying goodbye to, we, you know, neither of us took a salary for a year after we left. We obviously said goodbye to the, uh, to a bunch of stock and things like that, but neither of us will regret a second of it. I love that answer. Uh, I was hoping that was at the end of that because uh, we're going to get into part two. Before we do, I've got a couple questions for you. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io. We can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full-scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Thanks again to our sponsors for putting on the show. Um, Paul, so, okay, so you're like, we got to make the leap. Very thought out, very calculated. You're very self-aware in, in regards to evaluating your skills and where you think you can, where you think you can grow, what can come next. Um, have a real conversation. You're like, let's take the leap. 2020, you jump in. Um, what did that look like? Walk me through that. <laughs> well, we met. So Ryan lives or lived, I should say, at that time in Raleigh, North Carolina. I lived in Seattle. And so the two of us basically um, decided that we would meet in, in San Francisco. We had, uh, we had a, a gig that we had to go to in San Francisco. We took a day's vacation, stayed an extra day. And in that, uh, and on that extra day, we started to kind of like frame out, uh, frame out what it might look like uh, on a whiteboard. And with the goal that we were going to like make a go, no go decision as to whether we were going to do this or not by the end of the day. So we argued like crazy, we, which was really good, right? Because we'd never really figured out how, how or if we could argue really well. And we did. Um, and we finished up the day. We went, we went to grab a beer at a, uh, at a local hotel uh, bar afterwards. And we're like, are we in? And we kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, we were in. And then that was, as I say, that was in San Francisco. I fly back to Seattle. Ryan flies back to Raleigh, North Carolina. And then that was on a, uh, that was, I think on a Friday. And then on a Monday, the, the immediate Monday afterwards, that was when that nursing home outbreak happened in Washington state. It was one and a half miles from my home. So I, so I, and again, I've got a background in life sciences. I know that the conference was uh, that we were actually at before we took our day off was an epidemiologist conference. So we were even talking about um, how this is likely to spread and stuff like that. And then that was, and so at that point we're like, Oh, this is serious. And we had a discussion as to, you know, as to what it would look like, because it was very likely that we were going to form this company 
and not be able to be in front of a whiteboard together, not even be able to see each other for a prolonged period of time. And we did not see each other for, uh, I want to say it was a year, maybe, maybe more year, something like that. And so I was working at my home office. He was working out of his, um, we were framing what the, uh, what the company would look like. And then we, the first time that we actually, uh, got together physically, um, was when, um, the venture capital fund that, um, that, um, was our primary funder in our first round, which is Atento Capital, who are based in Tulsa, they said, come down to Tulsa and, and, uh, come and meet us. And so he went from there and I went from Seattle and we met, uh, and we met in Tulsa in front of a whiteboard and, and, you know, that was after a long, long time of working apart. Um, so it was a little, it was a little unusual, but so many people were doing the same thing at that time. I think the only real difference was that, you know, there was probably a bit of a bigger time gap between us than most of the people that were doing that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it worked out pretty well. And especially as, um, many of the skills, what we've learned is that the skills that we're helping people develop, many of the people that need them as much or more, or more are people who are working remotely, are people who are working hybrid. And so that gave us a really good understanding of that lifestyle. I mean, I've actually worked outside of a formal office setting for most of the time that I've been employed, Ryan, much the same, but we were really starting to learn more about the other, other people and how other people were struggling with some, some real soft skills that they needed to thrive in this type, in this type of unstructured, ambiguous environment that a lot of people that do remote and hybrid work really struggle with. Yeah. And I think, uh, I can agree with that. Uh, I personally have had to develop a lot of skills on my own. I'm, I'm definitely that type of person to push myself to learn them. I wanted to be successful in my business. So then I pushed myself to learn those, but it happened over time. You mm -hmm. know, I was at a company where I got one work from home day. It wasn't like, Hey, here's your, your entire work week, I need you to be productive with, yeah. you know, animals at the house and laundry to do and all these things that you can procrastinate at home because you're like, hey, these are all on my plate. Some of it's down to discipline, some of it's down to time management, running a calendar uh, more effectively than you had when when you'd be sitting in an office and they'd say, hey, guys, meeting in the conference room at two, you know, you're having to like stay organized and really stay on top of everything. Um, it definitely led to, uh, at least for me, um, a lot of discipline. I had to, at some points I had to like mark out every single part of my day uh, in order to stay on task and productive. It doesn't work like that anymore. Um, but, you know, I've got people in my office that uh, we know they just are not as productive as at home. And then we have others that, that absolutely crush it. So talk to me about you guys have made the leap. You've decided to go to go into business together. You're talking about laying out what the company looks like. Um, what was the first like MVP product that you guys wanted to launch with as far as an offering, um, you know, you know, to your potential customers? Yeah. So we realized pretty early on that, um, because we were approaching skills development in a very different way, we needed to understand really what the, a, a few things, right. And the first thing we needed to understand is really what the skills gap was. Um, because when you're dealing in this area of soft skills, it's kind of, soft and easy, right? Uh, you know, people talk about things like communication or they talk about things like general, uh, like, yeah. And they might be talking about verbal communication or written communication. And then they'll talk about things like conflict resolution. And they'll talk about these various other things that it's kind of difficult to like a measure them, you know, you know, uh, what is it they say about pornography? It's like, you know, it when you see it, right. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit like that, right. Which makes it number one, difficult to measure. And number two, difficult to be able to really hone, right. And, and actually know that you're, that you're making these changes. And then number three, difficult to know if, if you're even like, 
in the right area, dealing with the right thing. So for example, let's say that you've got a written, uh, a written communication deficit, right? Is that because you've got a problem with the written form of the English language? Is it because you struggle with dyslexia? Is it because, you know, there could be all kinds of different reasons why you might have that challenge. And so it makes it much more complicated than, than what we would traditionally call technical skills. Doesn't mean you can't do it. And it's hard to get, it's hard. It's also hard to get people to admit to some of those things. It can be a very embarrassing thing to say, I don't spell well, or, you know, I, I, I I struggle with that. And so getting that even out of them to be able to help them has proven difficult. Precisely. So we knew we had to figure that out. And so our MVP, the design of our MVP was really kind of centered around that. So the, before we did any of that, the first thing we did is we just spoke to huge numbers of people because we wanted to do some primary research in addition to the secondary research, which we all did. But primary research in terms of understanding, as I say, what that skills deficit was. So we started with about 300 interviews. We went up into the thousands. We continue to do it. So we're about 3,000 at this point. Um, and so that was really centered around, okay, what are these skills? so that we can kind of put uh, put a bow on them. And then having defined what we believe those uh, those skills to be, then uh, our MVP was centered around kind of like a very traditional, almost like training, online training program. So we ran little groups with, with maybe like 10, you know, in the range of, you know, eight to 10 people. We'd sell a course and it would be like three, two hour sessions all delivered online. And then they obviously... You know, if we were being successful, they were learning from us, but we were learning as much from them as they were from us. We were trying to understand how is the behavior changing? What is the, um, are they actually doing things better as a result of us working with them? And what we realized pretty early on is that um, we had kind of like packaged these skills up in the wrong way, but also the way we were delivering it was part of the problem. And so um, what's super interesting, if you look in this area of soft skills development, one of the reasons that it's broken is that 99% of the time, soft skills development is optimized for the people delivering the training versus the people that are receiving it, right? And then another thing, another way in which it's broken is that everybody's different, right? So, so the way in which you will get better at, and I'll use one of the skills that we talk about, right? The way in which you will get better at organization, for example, is reflective in many ways of the way you would naturally organize. It's related to the way that your brain works. It's related to your education, your upbringing, um, in some cases, even genetic factors, right? So all of these things are part of what is, uh, of what is necessary for you to be able to get from being this type of organizer to this type of organizer. And so we had to get much less prescriptive and we had to get much more of helping people figure out what that meant for themselves. And then the other way in which of course is broken is that um, when you're optimizing for the people delivering it, you're doing things like, well, let's do a one day offsite or something like that. Why? Because then the trainer can go and deliver the offsite in one day and then be one and done and gone, right? But people don't learn like that, particularly mm -hmm. these types of skills. And the way in which you need to develop these types of skills is actually much more akin to almost like an old fashioned apprenticeship or something like that. And so we're using experiential learning techniques um, that are delivered in the flow of work, that are delivered um, basically asynchronously at the pace at which works for the user, and typically in like 10-minute chunks versus these full one-day offsites. So that first MVP, pretty old school, Zoom meetings, two-hour sessions, et cetera, 
helped us figure that out and then helped us figure out what it was ultimately we needed to deliver in order to get to the end goal, which is actual change behaviors in employees and managers. Okay. So understanding how that progression, you know, manifested itself in regards to like how you got to like your actual, like, what are the great, what are the skills we should be teaching? How do we effectively teach them? I guess my follow-up here is, is how did you measure whether, um, you know, people going through your courses or, or signing up for your, your, um, your service were actually benefiting, um, other than just asking them themselves, was there a way that you were tracking KPIs? Were you talking to the business yeah. owners, perhaps that were putting their employees through it? Um, what did some of those KPIs look like? Yeah. So it is really interesting and it's actually, it's, it's a difficult challenge. I'm, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to underplay it. Right. Because, um, we know we already talked about just what doesn't work, right? Sending somebody to uh, to like a one day offsite, the data is clear, right? You have around about seventy percent of any information that you send somebody into an offsite is gone within a week, and about ninety percent of it is gone within a month, just because it's not optimized in uh, in any way, shape, or form. But not only that, because the things that we're that we're dealing with are kind of esoteric. Um, and difficult to get your uh, to get your head around. Self-reporting is not a really great way of figuring it out either, right? And so, and actually, there's this thing some of your audience might have heard of it called the Dunning Kruger effect, which basically means that the less you know about something, the more you think you know, and the more you know about something, the less you think you know. Yeah. Um, and so we started with self assessments where people were kind of like saying, okay, how good do I think I am at organization control? We, we have five core ones that, that are built on a, a foundation of well-being and their organization control, motivation, uh, balance, and resilience. And so we, we ask a series of questions, but that were centered around that kind of self-assessment thing. And so what we did is we'd assess people at the start, we'd assess people in the, uh, as they were sort of like halfway through these, what we call learn, do experiences. Um, each one of them, as I say, about 10 minutes. And then we would assess them as we, they get towards the end of their journey. And everybody did it the same way. They all started off assessing, um, um, I mean, if you see me on video, I'm sort of higher up here, but everybody was like assessing like eight, nine out of 10 at the start. Then they get like halfway through and suddenly they drop to like four or five. They knew tons more, but they realized all the stuff they didn't know at the start. And then they would start like curving up again. And that happened just throughout. But the cool thing was because of that, we now had like a control, right? And so now we knew what the, what if you like the standardized pattern was that was associated with that. And so where we've ended up right now, which is really interesting, is that we've structured our learn, do experiences, as we call them, in, th in three ways, right? So one is you're receiving the information, these short videos, typically a couple of minutes in length, and you're performing practice. And those practice, uh, the, the three forms of the practice are um, what we call retrospective, in other words, where you're looking back at how you did something previously. Prospective, where you're looking forward and you're figuring out how you're going to do it in the future. And then practical, whereby you're literally in our platform practicing the technique in our platform and that allows us to be able to measure it right so now we can actually see that you're exhibiting um these behaviors, these behaviors in, a, in a practical way so what you're think what you think you're going to do is translating into the practice so we have two advantages right one is that the individual through this prospective and retrospective activities becomes way more self-aware of what their actual skill level is and then the second is is to say that once they get into the practical thing then we can start to measure it. So we are going beyond 
just, you know, did they do it right through to, is this having uh, an effect on their behavior? And then of course we can speak to teams and, and we work with both individuals and teams. So then they start to see the behaviors that they're exhibiting that are different. And so we normally check in with them and, and we're the questions that we're asking are things not like, um, you know, do you feel better? Although that's useful and helpful, but what materially are you doing differently as a result of, let's say, your improved skill of balance, right? What does that mean? What does that mean in terms of business outcomes and so on? And through the program, they're actually able to understand that in a way that they were not able to understand it before. And I can, I would assume that as, um, you know, a third party that, that they're engaging with, maybe their business is paying for it, signing them yeah. up. Uh, it's a little bit easier, these kind of skills and uh, even like results, I guess, coming from you guys versus like if I was trying to do this internally. Oh uh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a huge, huge piece of it. Um, and it was, a, I mean, I wouldn't say it was, I wouldn't say it was surprising, but it was surprising the extent to which that was true. So we had, for example, we typically sell into learning and development parts of organizations that they're larger. I mean, we actually go from like our smallest client is like one person, right? <laughs> and our highest is, and our largest are, are in the in the thousands. But the, but what's interesting is that um, even in these smaller organizations, the fact that we can come in from outside and we're helping people develop these skills for their own benefit um, is hugely important. And it's very different than a manager saying to you, "Hey, I think you suck at this, and so therefore you need to you need to do that." This is actually a positive opportunity for somebody to become certified as a flexible work professional. It's a skill they can take, you know, throughout their career. But then also you get these like super cool um, Slack channels and things like that, that that pop up. So one of our most recent customers, they have a um, they have a Slack channel where all of the participants are in that Slack channel, and very soon, individuals in the Slack channel are helping those other individuals as well, and it becomes an excuse for and a reason for people to focus on these uh, on these skills so our very very first learn to experience that we have the very first one is as simple as you can imagine right you're watching that initial video and then you're putting 10 minutes on your calendar to basically have as your billion minds time and they are having you're doing that typically three to five days a week most people do choose to do five days a week and so when you get to the very end of this journey people talk about how, you know, about, you know, they're able to get more done in less time. They're able to switch off from work more effectively. They're able to separate work better from the rest of their life. They're able to do all these things. It's wonderful. And they feel more resilient and all that kind of stuff. But then the meta stuff starts to come out. And what the meta stuff is, is like, do you know what I now do? I spend 10 minutes every day making myself better. And that is something that people generally do not do. <laughs> in 30, 40 year careers. And it's so important, right? I mean, literally as we are moving into this world where, you know, AI, robotics, automation are gonna be not just dominant, but they're being democratized so that all the companies in the world are gonna have access basically to the same stuff. What is the differentiator at that point? Well, it's the people and it's the skills of the people. So these human skills are more important than they have ever been. And now, and this is the thing that excites me more about the company than anything else, we're taking people who have never worked on themselves and are now, as a matter of habit and routine, working on themselves every single day. Changing that their to mindset. me is enormous. It's amazing. That's incredible. And it's something that 
I love entrepreneurship, even though it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I know every, every pro everybody's progress is differently in that journey, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but for me, I'm not sure that I would have leveled up as much as I have personally, at least areas of pride in, in like where I've improved in myself, if I didn't have entrepreneurship or reason to do it. I just yeah. never really, you know, these were things that I'm like, look, I want to win more than I want to be bad at communication. So I'm going to work on this <laughs> or like, you know, and it was like, I know that this will hold me back. So I'm going to work on this. Um, and not everyone's like that. But I, I feel like the business gave me the time to do that because I was an entrepreneur and not everyone's an entrepreneur. But for mm -hmm. me, it was like this set time, Drew, you have to improve. You need to read these books. You need to listen to these podcasts. You you need to learn in these areas. Um, but if I had somebody that was also helping me through that process, right, if that would be, you know, that would be incredible. And, you know, one thing for me, I've been in therapy going on four years now, mm -hmm. um, you know, setting aside a, a week. Uh, an hour a week of time to work on my mental health or, yeah. you know, uh, or just 45 minutes at the gym a day, uh, or if you meditate or in, any of these things that people do for themselves for self care or self development or, or ways to improve. Um, it's critical. And imagine getting 10, 15 minutes, several times uh, a week, uh, while on the clock, more than likely yeah. to improve yourself and be like my company uh, has a culture of, of self-improvement. This is something I'm at our town hall meetings that we have as a team. Um, you know, I talk about these soft skills. We have a book club on Fridays and things like that, where we get to kind of open it up and we're trying to choose certain books around soft skills, really like communication or grace or any number of things. And, um, you know, I'm saying, guys, you are a reflection of my company, even if you move on, like, you know, yeah. if you go to the next company, wherever that is in your career, I hope that you never leave, right? Uh, we hope that they never leave. But if they do, you are just as much a reflection of our brand and reputation at your next spot as you did here. And I would love my employees if they get taken, poached, whatever, to go to the next company. And these companies just be like, wow, I wish I yeah. could have all types of Marknology employees because they come here, they're well, they're well read, they, <clears throat> their communication's amazing, their organization skills are amazing. I want that set of my people. Um, yeah. so then I tell them that, so, you know, it's like, this is why I'm investing in you, uh, you know, in these areas, this is why we're doing this is like, I want you to be the best version of yourself while you can be at Marknology. Um, so this is right in alignment with my thinking and just, um, you know, there isn't a playbook to, to deliver those types of skills. Um, so this is absolutely incredible. Um, and I can see you light up when you're talking about it, you know, when the, the, the podcast really started, um, you talking about working uh with with older adults that were seeing computers for the first time and being like mm -hmm. this is ruining my life and breaking down and um on the flip side now to be uh you know a co-founder of a business that's giving people back uh you know their confidence at work or uh you know their confidence at home whatever that is it's got to be incredible yeah it is and i and there's a bunch you touched on that um we could talk for hours on it but the one thing that i will say is that, that really stuck out for me was that is that you talked about taking the time to do X or Y, like taking the time to work out, taking the time to go to therapy and things like that. And this is one of the biggest aha moments that people, uh, that people have with Billion Minds as we're asking them to give up something that's very valuable to them, which is their time, right? And so we're, we know based on, our, uh, based on our research that for people to thrive inside the Billion Minds program, then they need at least three of these 10 minute learn do cycles a week, which is half an hour a week, right? You're probably already overworked. You're probably already overstressed, et cetera. 
Um, I don't, I don't know where the book is on my, on my bookshelf right now, but there is a book on my bookshelf whereby the, the, the name of the book is irrelevant, but below it is a USA Today um, quote. And it says, if you don't have time to read this book, you need to read this book. And it's a little bit like that with regard to Billion Minds, right? If you don't have time for our program, then you really need, then you really need our program. And so people start to realize as they're working through it, that um, f- focusing on and obsessing on time feels like the right thing to do because nobody ever has enough of it on the 24 hours in the day or the 24 hours in the day and it can never change, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, of course, what we are as human beings is we're energy vessels, right? We have a certain amount of energy that can be devoted to the various uh, different things that we do. And we have things that we do that will replenish our energy. And we have things that are that, that we do we will do that will, that will diminish our energy. And so we have to be able to be able to manage that energy appropriately in order to do our best work. And in many cases, that may involve taking an hour a week to go do therapy or 45 minutes a day to go work out or whatever it happens to be. And so if you can help people discover that, then at the end of it, they go, oh, so that's weird because I've just spent half an hour doing something I didn't do before, which is Billy Mines, but I'm getting more done and I'm finishing work earlier in the day than I was before. Why? Because the skills are allowing me to be able to manage that energy more effectively than I would do otherwise. And so it is, um, it takes a certain degree of kind of like enlightenment and experience. In going back to those interviews that we spoke about originally, every person that did it really, really, really well spent years developing these kind of techniques. And so that was our other kind of mission. We wanted to help people embed these skills at most inside three months, right? And not spend 10 years, 15 years doing stuff because most of those people that did it really well, they didn't even know how they'd done it. It was just accumulated over time. And you point about younger people in the workforce. Yeah, there are younger people in the workforce who don't know how to do this stuff well. There's also older people in the workforce who don't know how to do this stuff well because they've built up a bunch of bad habits that are um, that are really impacting them negatively in the workplace, and they don't really understand how they can move on and so on. So that point that you made, I think, is hugely, hugely important. We have to, um, by developing a level of self-awareness of, of where we are, understanding what the skills are that we need to develop, and then figuring out how to develop those skills in a way that works for us and our neurodiversity is really how we can help people. I love it, Paul. We could talk all day. Um, as we round out the show, I usually have two questions that I love to ask just to kind of get into your head. Uh, one would be, what is something you're super excited about with Billion Minds uh, that you're working on? And and then also as, a, as an individual, as Paul, uh, what's something that you're working on that you're excited about, uh, you know, this year? Yeah. So, uh, the the two are almost connected, which is and not in a way that I that, that I expected to at all. Um, so first off, in terms of what we're working uh, working with as a company, um, we were very um, clear, and you know we founded the company that we wanted to build a platform that was scalable, so that like really scalable, so that if we were having to go from you know like a hundred users to 20,000 users to 2 million users, we could do so really effectively. And so we've done that. Um, we've done that from day one and we're now starting to scale and we're starting to see the, uh, see the benefits of, of being able to do that. Um, we 
initially focused very clearly uh, on individual contributors inside organizations. And so across those, uh, those five skills that I mentioned before, built on a foundation of well-being, um, we started working with one of our uh, customers um, that was one of our very, very early beta testers, left us, and then has actually come back to us now. Um, and, you, and they came back to us and they said, you know, what we'd really like to do is we really like to build these skills in manage in the layer of management throughout organizations, right? And we want to understand for managers not only to be able to do this sort of stuff really well themselves, but how to manage a team that themselves was growing was growing these skills more effectively. And so we just uh, finished developing that about a, about a month ago and have just launched it. And what's super cool about it is that you can get you can have managers and their direct reports going through this journey together and managers changing the way they manage as uh, alongside the people that they're, uh, that they're managing with, uh, the people they're managing with their, their team members. And it starts to change almost like the dynamic inside the, inside the organization as a whole. So really rolling that out and then continuing to hone the level of engagement of the employee in the platform. So we're bringing in gamification, uh, capabilities as an example to really kind of like increase the desire that people have and then enriching the practice environment. I think that, I think all of that will be, uh, we will be really excited as we, uh, as we move to the next phase. Um, the other thing that's related to that as well is that we want to, demo AI is getting democratized. I mentioned that, right? We want to democratize access to these skills. And so we've deliberately, like most, the price point of this stuff, like when you go to to like the old school people who do these sorts of offsites and things is astronomically high for many organizations. And so we've intentionally set our price point at a level whereby this can be available to people inside smaller organizations, people with much less budget. I mean, we're priced at a point that is less than it would cost you to send one person to an, uh, to an offsite and you get our platform for a year, right? So we're consciously priced at that level but we want to continue that democratization journey. So we want to actually get to a point where, for example, people are out of work, then they can get to our platform at, a, at an incredibly reasonable price. Um, that we're working with recruitment companies, with other organizations to, to actually sort of build this in as a set of skills as people are entering into that workforce. And then also get to the point where these skills are being developed inside universities and colleges and things like that as people are entering the workforce so you don't have to you're not behind the eight ball when you get first get employed so all of that is is kind of like the main focus and then i said on my personal my personal life i've got really really into this whole idea of learning by doing experiential learning and so then the challenge like well what can i learn what can i do <laughs> what can i do differently um and so i about Four months ago, five months ago, I started playing piano. Okay. So I did it was as a as a kid, never played a musical instrument, etc. Picked up simply piano, which is basically sort of if you like a consumer version of the sort of stuff we do, learning by doing. Um, and and uh, have been playing the piano for that period of time, and now it's almost like become a become a daily practice. I love that. And what I love about it is because it just shows you that you know, who you are. No matter what you do, you're never expert in anything. There's always something that you're that you're poor at, you could get good at. And the journey of becoming good at something that you're bad at is such a exciting journey. And of course, it uh, it makes the connections in the brain cells and keeps you healthy and young and all that kind of stuff. 
I love it. I think if you're not growing, you're dying. And I've witnessed Precisely. that. I've witnessed that. I've made a pact with my sister, who's my best friend, uh, you know, that we'll be accountable uh, in each other's lives to make sure that we're constantly growing and um, trying new things, exploring new things. My mom uh, learned the piano in her late 30s. Uh, mm -hmm. She just picked up the piano and, and learned the piano in her late 30s before Simply Piano. So for me, I'm just like, wow, that was something very impressive for my mom. You know, so many people learn musical instruments when they're kids. So yeah. to learn as an adult and uh, my parents are in their 60s now and continuing to learn new things. It literally gives me so much hope, uh, you know, and just excitement about the future. Because if there's things about myself that I wish I knew or that I wish were better or skills that I wish I had um, to know that there's hope, like, you know, yeah. you can you can continue to learn these things. It's just like really exciting to me. And for me, something that gives me a ton of joy, uh, especially if I'm able to learn something at least in my life learn something and then share it uh with people that might not be as trailblazing as myself but i know that they would enjoy it and love it and being able to push people to try those things is, is also absolutely incredible how is uh simply piano going i was looking at one for the guitar recently something similar yeah it's good and they do and actually simply uh have uh simply piano simply guitar and simply voice all as one package so if you're in a family, it's super cool because you can like have one family member do the guitar, another one do voice, another one do piano. It's all part of the same. Um, it's it's all part of the same subscription. So yeah, I really enjoy it. I think they uh, I think they do a very good job, um, and it, it sort of teaches me that. And then I pick up things going, you know what? That's a really cool technique. We could use that technique as well. So so half listening, half uh, half stealing. Learning. That's, hey, that's you know, always. I think that's always what we do as entrepreneurs is like looking yeah. for inspiration in places. You know, I personally. Um, I go to music all the time. I, mm -hmm. I chase shows all around the world. I just came back from Red Rocks um, oh. from a show. The, those places, seeing musicians and artists uh, do their thing, I always feel like they're kind of just trailblazing uh, in regards to like innovation and, and, and art. And so for me, that I come there, I bring it back somehow to my business. I'm trying to bring those experiences back and say like, you know, how do I create that here? So Paul, this has been um, absolutely awesome and i'm i'm super excited about what you guys are doing and hope to stay stay connected and follow the journey as you guys continue to um you know to grow thank you so much for your time on the show thank you appreciate it andrew you're welcome and thank you hustlers and thanks again to our our sponsor for today's episode fullscale.io do you need to hire software engineers testers or leaders let fullscale help they have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts when you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let the platform match you up with a fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. We'll see you next time, Hustlers. Thanks again. Startup Hustles brought to you by FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.